Today, Carl Jensen and I discuss Tesla ownership and the current and future state of electric vehicles in the U.S. Here we go. Welcome to Forget About Money, where we encourage you to take action today so that you can focus on what matters most to you. Today, we're talking to Carl Jensen. He is the man behind the blog 1500 Days, and he's been a friend of mine for quite some time, a number of years. Recently, I discovered that he purchased a Tesla, but Carl has been talking about Tesla for years, ever since I've known him. And it's always been a purchase that he's, I believe, had some kind of internal consternation about moving forward with, even though he's got the money to do so. So we're going to talk about all of those things and the Tesla itself today. Welcome, Carl. How are you? I'm good. How are you, David? I am doing very well. It's been a while since you and I have spoken. And what's been going on since then? Oh, man. When was the last time we talked, David? Was it? Um, I don't even remember. I guess it's been a while. I think when you came out to San Diego for Camp Phi Southwest. And you and Steven took your Corvette over to, over to uh, Julian. Yes, that's right. And that's another car reference, David. And when you say your Corvette, I do not, in fact, own a Corvette. But I decided to rent one as a spending experiment. I, I am a car fan, so I wondered if renting one would get the Corvette out of my system. And so, yeah, we uh, we got to drive around in a Corvette. I don't think you ever did, though, David, right? Just Steven. I did not. I think maybe just to drive into the parking garage, maybe. Or I ran into the parking garage to get you in there uh, as you stayed at my house the night before. So, but you said you would, I did listen to yours and Mindy's, your wife's new podcast, Mindy on Money, or Mindy and Carl on Money, and which is great, by the way. And I think you, I think I overheard you saying that it's not something you would do again. You got it out of your system and that was good for you, especially on those LA roads. Yeah, uh, I've always been a car person and a Corvette was always maybe one of the dream cars I had. I used to lust after cars as a kid. I was the kid with a Countach poster on the on my wall. Did you have any car posters, David? Oh, man. I think the earliest posters that I remember having were of the early 90s, late 80s rock, big hair rock bands, like Iron Maiden and Poison and Motley Crue. And the crazy thing is, is like I didn't even listen to all that music. Never even been a fan of Iron Maiden, but for some reason at that time, the artwork, I think it was like a lot of skulls and craziness. I don't know. I enjoyed it. So we we had those back when you had magazines and you had like posters that folded out. So that's what we had for posters. I honestly don't remember too many cars or sports figures, posters uh, in my early days. So no, I don't think I had any car posters, but if I did, it probably would be some some kind of classic car. I, I'm trying to picture you with hair, metal hair, like you with big hair, David, and uh, um, it's a very weird picture in my head. Mm-hmm. But but anyway, the Corvette was an experiment. I'm like, eh, this is this car is pretty cool. It's the first mid-engine Corvette, which was always the original dream of the dude who invented the Corvette. So I'm like, hey, you know, I should rent one and see what the thing is like, and then maybe I won't want to buy one after that. And it turns out driving around a Corvette around LA at rush hour, as you could guess, really, really sucks. And I won't need to repeat that experiment again. Out of the mountains by where the camp was, it was great. But how much of your driving is actually out there? And is it really worth it to spend all that money just to take a few curves quickly? Um, The answer is no, at least in my case. Yeah. And also in the case of a Corvette, it's not very fuel efficient. It's fun, but not fuel efficient. 
Uh, and I know that too, because I've had a similar engine. I had to, for 20 years, my everyday driver was like, I believe it was a 90 Camaro, a 1990 Camaro. And finally, I was like at 13 miles per gallon, I had to let it go. And a couple of other, other expenses I was going to have to uh, pour into it to make it last another decade. But it was a lot of fun to drive, very loud, uh, and definitely not fuel efficient. Unlike the new electric cars, which are, I do say fuel, even though it's battery. They do have like a mile per gallon rating, which roughly determines how much fuel it gets. Uh, so they do have some correlation with that. But yeah, usually you don't say fuel. You would say maybe kilowatts per mile or miles per kilowatt hour. So you are a, a one of my cool memories when I first started to get to know you was we were at Camp Five Southeast and there was a space shuttle launch, I believe, or some kind of launch over at Cape Canaveral, and you were excited about that. And I didn't even know what was going on, but you and like eight other people just stormed out really quick to go look up into a dark sky. And so that's when I knew you had this deep desire to learn or or just to know about and experience technology and science. And that connects with how you think about Tesla and electric cars and EV vehicles in general. And how long have you been interested in the EV vehicle movement, and when did you finally decide that or start thinking like maybe I want one for myself? Yeah, so so David, I got super 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 lucky. Back around 2012, I saw my first Tesla Model S, which was their first car that they really produced for the masses. They had a little sports car based on a Lotus before that, but that was very small numbers. And the point of that was to fund the development and production of the Model S. So I saw a Model S somewhere around 2012. I'm like, hey, that thing looks pretty cool. And I was already familiar with Elon Musk. I knew he ran Tesla. I was a PayPal investor uh, before he had Tesla. So at that point, I think it was October or no, it was actually August of 2012. I bought Tesla stock. And how'd that work uh, out for you, Carl? It, uh, it worked out very well. But the thing that did, and back to your original question, is that caused me to pay attention to the EV space, especially when the when the stock started to do good. And, and to be clear here, I'm no miracle investor. I just thought the car looked cool. And at the time, Elon Musk was a little bit different back then. I thought Elon Musk was cool. I'm like, you know what? I've got some money laying around. I think it was like 5000 bucks. I'm going to throw it in, into this stock. And now I think it's worth 500000 Yeah, it's roughly 100x. That's not a bad, you definitely don't have a FOMO on that one. Maybe FOMO of putting more in at that time, but it worked out well for you. Yeah, it, it was great. Again, I got very lucky and I'm very stubborn, which usually is not a good quality to have. But when it comes to being stubborn about selling stocks, it worked out well in this case. And this last week, a Tesla stock price took a little bit of a hit. Does that? Do you look at it often? And if so, do you think like, should I sell or is this something you've just like, no matter what, I'm just going to hold on to it forever because you no. did get in so low. Yeah. That, that's one of the bad things about owning individual stocks is that it causes mental bandwidth. So if I own QQQ or VTSAX, which I think is what everyone should do, including myself, there's no drama. There's no, there's not going to be news articles about what the CEO is doing or what crazy stuff he's posted on X or Twitter that week. But the fact that I do own that stock makes me, makes me pay attention to it every day because I think I have to. <laughs> I need to know when to get off this train or if it's a good idea to keep continue holding. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah. So I probably spend, I don't know, half an hour to an hour every day, maybe following up on the news, which um, I don't think is the best use of my time and is a really good case for not owning an individual stock. And what over, so you, you bought Tesla in 2012. And is that when you just kind of focused on Tesla as the EV brand of choice or what what motivated you? To, what motivated you to choose Tesla over other electric vehicles or even a traditional car? I'm not sure if they're. Uh, I, yeah, well, it was just a stupid decision. I thought it looked cool, and then I went for a ride in one, and and not many things surprised me in life. But um, I got on Tesla's mailing list somehow, and they sent me an email saying, "Hey, you should come test drive a Model S at this uh, autocross course we have set up at the Denver Broncos Stadium." So I did that. And uh, they encouraged you to drive the car like with up to its maximum capabilities. So the guy is like, just step on the gas pedal, like all the way down and see what happens. I'm like, okay, if you insist. So I did that. And then, so there was a straightaway and then I'm going around these cones and uh, the thing was so fast and so violent. I was the one driving, but despite that, I was car sick. I almost threw up after one minute in this car and I'm like, I'm like, holy crap, I think I'm going to throw up. And holy crap, this is so awesome because this car is so violent and fast. It's so good. Like, this is just incredible. But back to your original question, I don't, there weren't really many other EV players in the game. Nissan might have had the leaf out at that time, but it was kind of a, a nerd mobile. What, what Tesla really did for EVs is. Uh, I'll back up a second. So if you bought a Nissan Leaf, you bought it because maybe you wanted to save the world and you thought an EV was would be a cool way to do that. But if you bought a Tesla, you might have bought it because of the performance of that. It looked cool. And the EV was actually a secondary consideration. Uh, I continue to hold it because I think that's where the world is going to. You don't see it as much in America unless you live in California. Like you do, David, every other car is probably a Tesla. I think they call it the... California Camry. But if you go to Norway, I think 90% of new cars sold are EVs. Uh, Europe, uh, China, especially China's probably second to some of these Norwegian countries. Uh, EVs are going to be the future, whether people like it or not. And Tesla is probably one of the leaders in that. They are definitely one of the leaders. The Chinese are giving them a run for their money though, especially BYD. Mm-hmm. I don't now, know if I even answered your original question. I'm sorry, David. I keep on going off on tangents. Rain me back in. No, I, I just asked what made it motivated you to choose a Tesla over any of the other electrical vehicle brands or a traditional car. And I think you've answered that. You, you've, you're intrigued with Tesla as a brand. You liked electric as a technology and as the future. And, and you just enjoy it. Yeah. So what, I think that's why you, you, you went with Tesla other than like Rivian or you say BYD, which is another... Yes. And one thing I'll add to it, David, is Tesla realized something early on, and it wasn't actually Musk, it was J.B. Straubel, one of the other people originally involved in Tesla. They realized that if they were going to get people to buy these things, they had to set up a charging network and they had to make it good. So Tesla has this super, super good charging network. I think they have like 50,000 stalls all over the world where you can charge your car. And it makes it super convenient to do a road trip. Um, You have to wait a little bit longer, but that's Definitely a reason to consider a Tesla or consider maybe investing in Tesla over something else. They own the cars and they own the fueling network. And again, I'm not a techie like you, but I have heard recently that many of the other, so when the charging stations first came out or starting to get, you know, 
built and put in place, there were many different kinds. So depending on what kind of port, and if I'm saying it wrong, let me know, but whatever kind of port you had in your car, like it, it may or may not fit that particular charging station. So what I think is happening now is because Tesla was the forerunner or the front runner for this technology, many of the other previously different uh, types of charging stations are now using uh, the format or the actual plug design uh, that Tesla uses for their own cars, or at least making um, making different hookups that can then fit, fit uh, one type of charger to a different kind of uh, port in a particular car. Yeah, that, yes, that's, that's exactly correct. It's called the North American Charging Standard, which is kind of a pretentious name that Tesla chose, but every other manufacturer except Stellantis, who is like Chrysler, has agreed to adopt that. And in the meantime, like what you said, David, they're offering adapters so you can use their charging network, even if your car doesn't have the NACS port on it currently. But it's pretty cool if you think about it as a Tesla investor. That That's great because Tesla's going to charge these people. Yeah, I think you have to pay a monthly fee if you don't have a Tesla to use this. So even if you don't buy a Tesla, Tesla's still going to make a little bit of money off your EV purchase. How did you research and decide on the specific Tesla model that you got? What model did you get? It is a Model Y. Okay. And how did you how did you decide on the Model Y? Yeah, actually, I don't think I did decide on it. I did not want the Model Y. I wanted the Model Three. I'm more of a car person. Where the Model Y is like a um, what do they call it? A CUV, like a miniature SUV thing. And I actually think it's uh, a little bit ugly, and I. I don't like that style of vehicle, but when I went to the Tesla store with my kids and they sat in the backseat of both, like, Dad, you have to get the Y. We are not doing a road trip in the backseat of the three because there's no legroom back then, back there. So I'm like, okay. So you're outvoted. I, I was outvoted. I was outvoted by my children. And were there any, at the time that you purchased uh, the Model Y, were, were there any financial incentives or financial considerations that influenced that decision? Not necessarily the Y, but any EV. Yeah, there were. So there's three things. There's a federal tax credit of $7,500. There's a Colorado tax credit of 5000 And then with Tesla, if you didn't order, order it, and I'll back up, there's two ways to buy a Tesla. You can either order it from their website and the exact one you want like shows up at their store and you go pick it up, or you can find one in inventory that's already there. And often they give inventory discounts. So this one was $4,000 off. I think it would have been 52000 if I wouldn't have had the discount. So it was $48,000 with the $4,000 inventory discount. All right. Can you quickly run over those numbers again? Yeah, so the car would have been $52,000 if I would have ordered it exactly the way I wanted it. I got two options on it. It's red because Mindy wouldn't let me have a white car, which is what I wanted. And uh, it's got a trailer hitch on it. So it would have been $52,000, but with the $4,000 discount, it was $48,000. Then I got a $7,500 discount from the feds. It's actually going to be a tax uh, credit when we file our taxes. So that brings it down to 40500 And then with the $5,000 state Colorado incentive, it was 35500 plus taxes, registration, all that other stuff. So so that did not include the taxes and registration. So I don't know, what, like $40,000, 40, just over forty, maybe? 
Yeah, I think 40 is, a, 40 is a good way to ballpark it. Yep. And, and in today's market, that's not a bad deal considering you, you can't get a even a three-year-old used car seemingly for under you know twenty three to twenty seven thousand. So, so to to get a brand new, a brand new electric, not even the the entry model uh, Tesla for just over forty, that sounds fairly reasonable, relatively speaking. Forty thousand yeah. dollars is still a lot of money, but that's uh, if, if you're in the market for a, a vehicle anyway, that's definitely worth taking a look at. It, it is a lot of money, and it was very weird to spend that much money on a car. My the previous. New car we bought was a 2010 Mazda 5, which is a great vehicle. And that thing, um, we just gave it to our mutual friend, Amberly. You know Amberly, right? I do. Yeah, so we gave that to her, but that thing had over 200,000 miles on it, still running great. And so that was the last new car we bought, and I think it was $17,000. Can you describe the first day with the Tesla? Like what stood out? Uh, 49 miles into it, I broke the windshield on it. So that wasn't too, too great. Um, I don't know. That's a great question, David. And the answer is probably more anticlimactic than it should be. We already have another EV called a Bolt. So I knew some of the nuances of driving it. One of the things with an EV is you don't really have to use the brake most of the time because the motors kick in, they turn into an alternator and charge up the battery which has the effect of stopping the car when you let off the gas. So that that was pretty interesting. But yeah, it was also frustrating. My second drive ever, this, uh, I don't know, some tool flew out of the back of a car and hit the windshield. And yeah, not, not good. A Tesla windshield is not cheap, which I'm sure we'll talk about some of the negatives of owning a Tesla. And one of them is a windshield. And if you have to get the thing repaired, it can be painful and painfully expensive. Oh. So right off the bat, you're you, you're filled with joy, and then next thing you know, you're like, ah, oh, why, why today? Yeah, and it was a hard hit too. Like, wham! It actually it actually scared me. I'm like, wow, what was that? And I don't tailgate people. I drive like a, uh, I drive very conservatively. I drive slow and give people lots of distance. So I don't know how this thing even hit the windshield. But Do you I know what kind of tool to, it was? I think it might have been like a. Uh, it was a work truck, and I think it was like a socket from like a wrench. Uh, did they stop, or did you have any? Did they even have any idea that it happened? I don't think they had any idea. All right. Uh, so you live in Longmont, and I don't know what the infrastructure is there for electric vehicles. Now, are you? Uh, can you describe like you said? You already have one electric vehicle, uh, the Bolt. So you're you're already accustomed to the charging and maybe charging stations in your local area. Did, did the having an additional electric vehicle hinder or create an, any additional inconvenience? Or can you explain what that's like as far as having to charge two electric vehicles? Yeah, so it would have. And I'll back up a second. One thing we did with our house is I put a bunch of solar panels on there a couple of years ago, and I put as many as would fit on my roof, which was about twice my annual production, which Colorado allows you to do. I did it myself or else it would have cost a small fortune. Uh, I, I love the idea of solar panels, but as a financial decision, they're not worth it, especially if you're paying someone to do it. But as an aside, uh, it, and that's my aside, uh, it would have been laborious if I wouldn't have installed another charger. We had one for our Bolt, but it was a slow charger, so it charges at about three to four miles an hour, and I could use it for the t for the Tesla. 
but that's not always ideal if we both happen to be doing a lot of driving at the same time. So I installed the high-speed charger, which gets like, uh, I think, about 30 miles per hour in charging speed. So we just plug it in when we get home, and that's pretty much it. Uh, it's much, much, much better. This is probably overrated. It might sound a little ridiculous, David, but it's very good not having to go to gas stations. I don't know what it is, but I just hate going to gas stations. And what a privileged, weird thing to say, but... Not having to go to gas stations is a uh, a big improvement of happiness in my life. Like my ideal life would be that I just didn't have to own a car at all, so I wouldn't have to charge or go to a gas station. But if I have to drive, this is a, a good compromise. Mm -hmm. And you've had the car now for how long? Let's see, October, November, December, January, four months. Four Almost. months. And, and, and four months in, and knowing you, you probably read the owner's manual front to back. What are your like top three features that you love most about the Tesla? Uh, so, David, I'm not one of those people who goes and starts their car up in the morning because they can't sit in a cold car for five minutes. I realize I'm being a little bit snarky there, but man, being cold's good for you, like cold plunges and all that. Uh, one of the things that EVs, it, there's a reason I'm telling you this. EVs suffer a little bit in the cold. The batteries take a hit. The battery chemistry just doesn't work at all at, as well if it's cold. So you can pull up the Tesla app on your phone and say, hey, car, I'm leaving at 730. And what it does is it warms up the batteries so the batteries operate better, but it also warms up the cabin. I'm like, you know, I'm not one of those types of people who would go and warm the car, but the car is just doing this for me because I warmed up the batteries. And it's pretty good. We had a cold spell and you get into the car and it's 70 degrees in there. So that's super nice. Uh, number two might just be the driving experience. It's super smooth and quiet. Uh, there's hardly any road noise. It's just a very, uh, I'm, I'm not a luxury person. So maybe I'm getting a little soft, David, feel free to call me mm -hmm. out. You'll have to like throw me in the ocean or something next time I come to visit you. But it is it is nice. It's quiet. Uh, like our old car, the 2010 Mazda, you could barely have a conversation at highway speed because the tire noise and the engine noise were were overwhelming. And you asked me for my top three. I'll say it's a tie between not having to go to gas stations and just the uh, the infotainment system. So it's got a super good sound system and it's got all kinds of maps and all kinds of other fancy things built into the car. So you tell it where you're going to go and you can you can talk to the car and it just pulls it up on the map and said, okay, here it is. Um, go here. Um, one of the big negative things might've been the FSD and we could, I suppose you're going to ask me about negatives. So we could talk about that when we get to that point. So do you have a name for your Tesla or do you have a, a theme song every time you get in it plays? Uh, I have a name for it and the name is 2012 because that's when I bought the Tesla stock and I'm a money nerd, David. So I actually did the calculation and uh, if I, I did not actually sell Tesla stock to buy the Tesla, but if I would, it would have, the Tesla would have cost me $355. That's how much I would have spent on the Tesla stock back in 2012. And that's how much it's appreciated to afford the car at that point. So a little bit over a hundred X at that time, cause the Tesla stock was worth a little bit more. So the car is 2012. Well, I think that sounds like a very justifiable purchase then. Yes. My uh, my kids wanted to name it something else. And I think it might have been a little bit profane or edgy. So I, I denied that request. I'm like, girls, you got to stop watching like YouTube or whatever you're watching. This isn't good. 
You sure it's not the fatherly influence that's leading that? Yeah, I think you're right, David. That the uh, I just blamed YouTube for my own shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, you've got great kids. Um, taking a step back, how do you perceive like the impact of driving a Tesla on the environment? I don't. I know you for a while. I don't necessarily uh, know you as like a tree hugger. That's not how I would I characterize you, but. I, but I would characterize you as conscious of, you know, and, and aware. So how do you perceive the impact of driving a Tesla on the environment? And did that have any role in you actually purchasing one? It did. I care about that stuff. Hence the solar panels on my house. I don't like to, uh, I'm not going to uh, bring it up and try to indoctrinate people unless they ask me, but with an EV, an EV actually is more environmentally intensive to build than a gas car because of all the mining that has to go into the, the lithium. So they say with an electric car, it usually takes about 18 months after purchase to break even from an environmental standpoint. And the reason is it's much more efficient to run an EV versus a gas car. And uh, sometimes people will throw the coal argument out. They'll say, well, I get all my electricity from coal, so therefore the EV isn't solving anything. But in, in EV, I'm going to be a little bit nerdy here, an EV is about 90% efficient with its energy use, which is pretty incredible. Do you know how efficient a gas engine is, David? Like uh, what percentage of the energy contained in a gallon of fuel is actually used to move the car? 30%. You're close. It's actually a little bit less than that. It's between like 20 and 25%. Oh, wow. So even if you have to use coal, a coal plant is efficient. A power plant recaptures their heat. And by the way, a gas car, all that waste is in the form of heat. So a fossil fuel plant will reclaim the heat and turn that into energy as well. So they're much more efficient than a gas engine. So even if you are burning coal, well, it's not ideal, and EV is going to be a little bit better for the environment if you care about such things. Um, the other thing I'll say is there's a company now, there's multiple companies that are doing this, but uh, J.B. Straubel, the guy I talked about er earlier, he has a company called Redwood Materials, and they can actually recycle about 95% of the contents of the battery. So the lithium, the nickel, and all those materials that you have to mine, they can take out and put into a new battery. And that same company is actually building a cathode plant to take the stuff out of old batteries and rebuild them into new batteries right there, which is pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I like that a lot. I don't like um, my stuff. David, you asked me about the tree hugger thing and it, my views probably come more from an efficiency standpoint. I don't like waste. And I just think it's so cool that when you take your foot off the gas of the Tesla, that it takes the energy from stopping and puts it right back into the battery. Like when you go up a mountain, it takes a lot of electricity, but that when we drive the mountains here, you go down and the battery's at the same level as it was like 50 miles ago because it's recaptured all that energy from the top. And I'm not sure why that excites me. It is <laughs> probably a little bit more than it should, but I like the idea that uh, I'm wasting less than I need to. How do you balance that efficiency and... Uh, caring about the environment with what I understand to be an upfront cost of producing the electric vehicles. Just recently, uh, 25 counties in California sued Tesla uh, for uh, something like um, like 
violating environmental practices. And in part of that article that I read, it lists Tesla as number 89 on the 100 most toxic companies or something like that. So it's interesting to have the conversation of like, I bought a Tesla and here are the benefits to the environment. But yet there's this other narrative from before, like in the production side of it, and Tesla as a company as a whole, that's not as rosy. How do you balance that from an individual standpoint? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, David. The uh, To produce anything is going to take energy. And you think of all these thousands of cars on like barges. Those barges are one of the biggest uh, fossil fuel polluters in the world, the cargo ships that have to transport these things. And to produce a car uh, takes a tremendous amount of energy. You think of all the smelting metal and mining, and it's crazy. Uh, so along the same lines, the best car is no car. If I could get through life with a bike and being able to walk and being able to take public transportation, that would just be spectacular. That's my dream life. And whenever I travel, I try to be car free, actually, uh, just be in a place that's walkable, which is uh, not so much for the environment or environmental part of it. I just think it's so pleasant to be able to walk or bike everywhere and take a look around and absorb your environment. But the fact of my life with two kids and uh, a busy schedule and sports and everything is I have to have a car to get around. There's no way around it. So this is evil, but it's the least evil in my view. Well, I wouldn't know if I would characterize it as evil. Uh, that's the last word I would think of if I when I think about Carl Jensen. Uh, but I was just curious because uh, you're a smart guy and I want to know your opinion on those things. And I know you've done the research and given much more thought to that than I have. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I read a Forbes article recently and it it was talking about the growth of the EV sales in the United States. And in last year, 2023, they eclipsed 1 million electric vehicle sales, not Tesla in particular, but the market. So more than a million electric cars were sold in the United States last year. And that's expected to grow, uh, but car companies are cutting production of the EVs uh, because the they don't see the demand being there. For example, the F-150 Lightning, which uh, got a lot of people excited because the F-150 is the, I think it might be the number one selling vehicle in the country, but to have an electric version of that uh, excited a lot of people. But now Ford is saying that they are going to cut their production of the F-150 Lightning by 50% uh, this year in 2024. How do you see like the long-term, how this is going to play out The as far as the growth? Again, you've done the research. You probably have your own personal opinions uh, based on being a smart guy. And I would like to hear what you think the electric vehicle market will look like in five to 10 years, practically. Yeah, I think it's inevitable. The world moves to EVs, uh, whether people like it or not. Uh, Tesla is working on their cheap car now, which is supposed to start around 25000 So. Already, you you alluded to it earlier, like the Tesla price isn't that bad. To buy a Model Y, which is a good family hauler, is cheaper than the average price of a new vehicle in the U.S., which I think is close to $50,000. So the Tesla might be a little bit cheaper or probably kind of equivalent to similar vehicles, but it's much cheaper after that. Uh, Whenever something comes out, uh, Tony Sieb, the Stanford professor, I was reading about him, whenever a solution comes out, that's a lot cheaper society inevitably will move to it. And I think that's how it will be for EVs now. I think originally they were perceived as a, as a premium product and in many ways they still are like all these manufacturers that are making them now like Audi and Porsche. A lot of them are, 
over a hundred thousand dollars and that's part of a perception problem but when something becomes cheaper people will flock to it i also think there's uh there's so much misinformation around evs that this drives me a little crazy because uh there was a story this morning actually about a tesla recall and uh that they had another one like a month or two ago and i got probably 10 different people talked to Mindy or I about this recall. They're like, oh my God, your car is recalled. Are you worried about this? And unfortunately, people don't read the article because if they would have part of the recall, it was an over-the-air recall, which means they send a software update. They had to make the font bigger on one of the warnings, and that was the main point of the recall. I'm like, well, did you read it? I think if you would have read it, it wouldn't have been, you would have realized it wasn't that big of a deal. And I, I get, uh, what else have I heard? You'll freeze to death if you own an EV because the batteries don't work in the cold. Um, it's going to start on fire, even though EVs actually catch on fire much less than fuel cars. So there's a lot of misinformation around them. But I think if people just went to the, the level of data and thought about it from that standpoint, I think it would be a pretty good solution for a lot of people. Not not. Not everyone. There's some situations where an EV is not a good solution, but most people drive 30 miles a day and an EV is just great for that. Uh, so I think they're going to take over. I don't know when EV sales will hit 50%. I think they're already like uh, 25% in California, right? It's California is obviously the, the leader, but they're huge. But then I go to a place like I was in St. Louis and I always kind of pay attention because I'm obsessed with EVs. And uh, I think I saw two EVs the whole time there, even though we were in an urban place and we probably did about 10 to 12 miles of walking. Uh, so yeah, David, I think they will take over, but it's going to take a while for people to get over some of the connotations. And some of those are justified, by the way, like old EVs did not do well in the cold and we could get into that, but I don't think you want to have an in-depth discussion about heat pumps or resistance heating. And uh, some had battery, super bad battery degradation, like soon into their ownership, but that's like the generation one of them. And now they're much better than that, but those feelings still circulate. And, uh, but yeah, so they will take over. It's only a matter of time. The U S will be dragged along by the rest of the world. Uh, regardless of if it wants to or not, like uh, China has huge incentives to move towards EVs and so it is much of Europe. And uh, the U.S. is a little bit behind, but we'll get there. Yeah. So I'm still waiting for the flying cars that Back to the Future 2 predicted, even though they're about, what, nine years late? <laughs> Those Didn't are predict, coming. Uh, flying cars for 2015 and now uh, we still don't have them. I think they are, but they're coming along. I don't know if you follow the EVATOL space, which stands for electric vertical and takeoff landing vehicle, but uh, they're not really cars. They don't have wheels, but they're a little like helicopter thing that you could potentially take off from your front yard. So have you at this point bought stock in whatever company you just talked about? And then 15 years from now, uh, we're going to be talk having another recording about how you're flying over Longmont? <laughs> I have not bought stock in any of them, but if you watch the Summer Olympics, supposedly one of the companies is, is going to debut their Evital. They're going to have flights from like Charles de Gaulle Airport to wherever the venue is that the Olympics are being held at. So you'll see them. You'll probably, you'll ride in one this decade, David. I can uh, pretty much guarantee that. Now, is, do you know if Elon Musk is, has anything to do with that technology? Um, have you seen the movie Iron Man? Uh, have you seen those series? Or I have. Mm -hmm. 
he's in one of those movies for like a second and uh and uh whatchamacallit robert downey jr talks to elon musk about an electric jet so elon musk has talked about it but i don't think they're actively working on any any version of it now i know you you've been uh interested in tesla but you've also been interested in elon musk over the years how's how's your perception of elon musk changed since you first got into the space mentally and emotionally and academically uh and then seeing some of the you know major moves that he has been a part of over the last decade at least how has your perception of Elon changed? Oh man! So I still think he's a he's a smart engineer. People dismiss him for that, but if you read his biographies, like he understands rocket science. Uh, Thomas Mueller, the guy who developed the engines for SpaceX rockets, has sung Elon Musk's praises about his contributions to the development of SpaceX and specifically the rocket engine technology, which is pretty amazing. There is a book where. Uh, Elon Musk did not want to start SpaceX. They went to Russia to try to buy decommissioned ICBM, which are missiles, to launch stuff into space, and the Russians dismissed him. So on the flight, he pulled out on the flight back from Russia as the plane was taking off from Moscow. He pulls out a book on like rocket engine technology and starts reading it and shows it to to all the other people who are there, saying, "Hey, the Russians aren't going to sell us their rockets, so we're going to make our own." And I'm going to start studying this now. So Elon Musk is a brilliant engineer. He's a uh, he's a tough boss who who motivates people in a lot of the wrong ways. Um, if he didn't do that, I think Tesla probably wouldn't be here. They would have gone bankrupt when the Model Three was launching. So he's a tough person. You don't want to get on the wrong side of him. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't appreciate his new. The, the the last thing you want to see if you own stock in a company is the. Uh, the founder strain into politics, no matter which side you're on, because that's going to alienate half of the potential base to purchase your product. And I was looking at his tweets yesterday, actually, and they're all about hot button political issues. So I kind of wish he would keep his mouth shut about that and the the board would rein him in. But I, I still think the thing I think about Elon Musk, whenever I hear someone say something bad about him or express their hatred for him, I can understand what they're talking about, but what I would respond with is, is he like everything aside, consider his accomplishments and his negatives is his being, is Elon Musk being on earth like a net positive or net negative for the planet or, and for society. And I think he is a positive because what he's, what he's done for space, like uh, with what's going on with Russia, if there wasn't SpaceX, the U S would be, Having a pretty hard time, the United Launch Alliance, one of SpaceX's competitors, bought their rocket engines from Russia, which isn't an option right now. And what he's done, if you care about uh, green stuff and the movement to electrification, I can't think of anyone else who has done more for that. Maybe Vladimir Putin, but in a bad way, (laughs) cutting Western Europe off from fossil fuels and forcing them to really put up more turbines and drive towards electrification faster. But I think Elon Musk has done a lot of good for the world. But yeah, I just wish he would shut up and stay off Twitter or X, whatever he called it. I really wish he wouldn't have bought that either because it's it's distracting from his mission. He's always said his core mission is to not just bring up Tesla and make that be a big EV manufacturer, but to force the world to move towards EVs and uh, 
when you be, when you become divisive like that, you're just going to turn people off. I can think of multiple people in my own life who either had orders on Teslas or had planned to buy one and have since said, hell no, I'm not going to support that person. So his his politics and his sometimes insane rants on Twitter does not do any good to his self-proclaimed core mission of saving the world from fossil fuels. Now, I think arguably Elon Musk is probably one of the most, if not the most impactful CEOs or company owners in the world. And so what do you think about Delaware, the Delaware judges, a decision to throw out his $56 billion pay package? Yeah, that, that's interesting. So way back, I think this was 27 or 2018, the board came up with a pay package for Elon Musk where he had to hit 10 different performance goals to earn this. So he was getting paid zero unless they hit these performance goals. And uh the thing about the whole thing is it was put up for a shareholder vote as well. So I think uh, it passed by like almost 80%. It was right around 80%. So it, I think one of the things the judge said was that the board was too friendly to Elon Musk. And I can get behind that, like his brother's on the board and probably other yes people who are going to be friendly to him. But the fact that the whole thing was put to the shareholders for a vote doesn't seem valid. Like I'm in Musk's side on this. And the other thing is like the stock has gone up way more. There has not been, it's outperformed the indices by a large margin since this earnings thing was put in place. So there hasn't been any injury to shareholders. And like I said before, I actually think Tesla would not be here today if it wasn't for him and some of his bad traits too, but driving people to sleep on the factory floor and get this work done. So I I don't think, and this is just a a superficial view of it. I I know the thing was 200 pages long, the judge's decision, and I have not read through that. But I think on the surface, it seems kind of bad. I'm also kind of angry that I think the attorney gets 10%. So someone made $5 billion off this class action lawsuit. And, And the guy who brought this whole thing up, was a drummer in a metal band who owned seven shares of Tesla. So this guy who owned seven shares is uh, causing Elon Musk to have to give up $55 billion, and I'm sure it'll be appealed. But I kind of like that structure where he's not paid unless the company performs because it's on him versus uh, like, which, which would you rather have, David, a CEO who gets paid nothing unless the company performs, both from a, a stock perspective and from just the volume of cars. And I... I forgot what the other like eight tranches were of his performance mm-hmm. thing or a CEO who they might be paying like 200 million bucks a year. I, I'm thinking of the old Yahoo CEO who was paid, I think, $250 million a year. And like, what is Yahoo now? No one cares. So yeah, on that side, I think I support Musk based on what I know now. He did what he said he was going to do and, and he got a large amount of money, but I made a lot of money too off the stock. Yeah, I think in general, I have an issue with the court stepping in to try to change the decision of what's already supposed to be established as a good decision-making process, or at least a legal one, which is if you're a legal company and you have a legal board and you've you've created yourself and such, and there's steps along the way, legal steps along the way to make sure that those entities are created legally, then any decision made by that should, should be good as long as it's long as the decision itself isn't illegal. So 
I didn't read the 200 pages you said uh, of the judge's ruling, but uh, just on, a, on the face of it, it, it seems kind of iffy. And yes, I agree that if you're in charge of a company and that company does well, you should be compensated for it. Not necessarily based on what the average American salary is, uh, but on your own performance and what you're responsible for. Because of what a lot of people don't understand is, yes, CEOs get paid a lot of money or they can get paid a lot of money, uh, but they're also a responsibility for the downside of these companies too. So they're all under significant stress and it's up to them uh, whether or not they succeed or fail. Unless you're one of the many CEOs out there that you know comes in and and everybody decided they got the new CEO and then for whatever reason, eight months later, they're they're leaving and then they get the multi-million dollar package for basically doing nothing at a company. So I think those are the situations where that need to be investigated, not the ones where uh, you're the creator of a company. You, because of your actions and decision-making and the people that you brought on board, you become a ridiculously successful company. And now some judge is saying you can't profit from that. I think that's... Uh, out of line, but I'm sure uh, more details are known than I know, and we'll see how it all plays out. But on the face of it, it looks kind of sketchy to me on the side of Delaware. Yes, say what we'll, say what you will about Elon Musk. He has lots of issues. I think uh, if you read his biography, he, he doesn't get a lot of sleep, and uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with that man. But he also started the two businesses that are probably the most hard thing to start up, like rockets, which is very, very difficult. You're at the edge of engineering with limits and stresses on vehicles and all that. And a car company, like no one in their right mind would want to start either of those two things up in the thing. And he's done two of them. And Tesla, he took over from someone else, but Tesla in his current form, he's responsible for it. Like Tesla was nothing before he became involved. And SpaceX was all his idea. And I don't know who came up with the idea of landing rockets, but these are incredible achievements that, uh, might go underappreciated. What would be your advice to anyone considering purchasing an EV or Tesla in particular as a vehicle, not as a stock? Yeah, make sure it's right for you. I heard a story from a friend about someone he knew who had purchased a Tesla just because they wanted one. This person lives in an apartment building. So they drive to a Tesla supercharger, drop it off, and Uber back to their apartment building to charge it. I, I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Uh, like I alluded to before, David, I think an EV is a great solution for most people. You don't even have to install a fancy charger in your garage. You can just plug it into your outlet every night, and it'll get probably about 12 hours, maybe 40 to 48 miles of charge over that uh, so you don't even need the fancy charger, but just make sure it fits your lifestyle. Like if you're driving, I, I talked to someone who did sales and she was driving maybe up to a thousand miles a week and she bought a Model Y. So she was spending a lot of time at superchargers. So if you're on a road trip, it's going to take you uh, some time to sit there. It definitely takes longer than fueling, not that much longer. But if you're driving 50,000 miles a year, you're going to be sitting around to chargers a lot but for most people, I think it's probably a good solution. Um, I, I would also check maybe electricity rates. If you're in Hawaii where electric rates are, I think, over 40 cents a kilowatt hour, it's not going to be such a great decision. Thinking on now, gas there is pretty expensive too, but it's not going to be the slam dunk like it would be for other parts of the country. I'd also say look at what your state incentives are because some state in incentives are super good. 
it, you can get a, I, I think the used Teslas or the used EV credit starts at under $24,000. But with a lot of the used Model 3s, you can actually get them for that much. So you might be able to get a, a used Model 3 for like well under $20,000. Mm. Um, and I think I got away from your original question, but I would just say, don't buy an EV just for the sake of buying an EV because you think a Tesla's cool. Do a little bit of homework and make sure it's actually going to fit your lifestyle. Also, don't get it because you think it's going to drive itself because <laughs> while they do have that software now, it'll, it, it does well sometimes. It'll also occasionally try to run someone over it. I don't know, David, maybe the person that tried to kill was evil and the car knew more than me, but I, I don't think that was the case. <laughs> like, Car, what are you doing? You can't run that construction worker over. He's he's right there. And owning your Tesla, have you have you run into any inconveniences or hidden costs? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think if there's anything I don't like about it or a hidden cost. Our kid, we have a bolt, and someone ran into her with a bolt. And his company was USAA, and I don't know much about them, but they gave us a list of probably 20 body shops to get the thing fixed. And out of those 20 body shops, zero would work on it because they saw it was an EV and, and they just said, we don't work on those. I didn't probe. I'm not sure why, but they wouldn't fix it. So we finally found one that would work on it. And with a Tesla, it's even worse. If you need a windshield, uh, I, I did get mine fixed. It was fixable, but the guy's like, yeah, if you ever have to replace this, no one is going to do it except for Tesla. So you're beholden to them for a lot of the body work stuff too, I think. And if they're a monopoly, they can charge whatever they want. So I think a new windshield is like 800 to to $1,000 for the Cybertruck. Mm. A windshield is $2,000 and it's supposed to be more durable, but you should expect to pay more. Uh, the other thing I have, the luxury of David, is we just paid for the thing outright, so we don't have the full insurance on it. Teslas do cost more to insure. I see a lot of people paying like three or $4,000 a year to insure, which is something I would never do because I just have the minimal insurance. It's, I don't know what it even is, maybe three or 400 bucks a year just for uh, whatever the minimal requirement is. But if you can't afford to buy the thing outright, expect to pay a lot more for insurance and maybe research that before you buy one. And a Tesla is a luxury thing. If you're just, if you just want an EV, you could get a Nissan Leaf or we have a Bolt, which is a great car, not too great for road trips, but it's going to satisfy, I think most use cases for how most people drive. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question there, David, but uh, do your research first and if you really want a Tesla, maybe hold out for the cheaper one. It will probably be out not for another couple of years, but they will have a cheaper model out, which is supposed to be under $30,000. We'll see if that actually happens or not, but that is the rumor. Now, I've owned a 2015 hybrid Prius. Uh, bought it, and now my daughter owns it. I gave it to her when she turned 18. But uh, I did notice some drop-off in battery power. And as far as the charging capabilities and all that stuff, and which is natural for these types of batteries, especially the older ones. And I believe Tesla has, a, correct me if I'm wrong, Tesla has an eight-year warranty on their batteries. Uh, but in your research, have you is that about accurate? Is that about the, the year that you need to start looking at replacing? Uh, I don't think I'll ever have to replace the battery. And I think the way the warranty works is it has to maintain a certain amount of charge or a certain capacity after all those years. And the way batteries work is they 
drop off a lot initially, and then it kind of levels out. So right now, and I haven't even looked at it, but right now is probably when it will drop off the most. But uh, there's certain ways to maintain a battery. Like if you charge it to 100% and you do it on a supercharger, which is a the super high-speed Tesla charger, like out in the wild that you can stop at, you're going to put a lot of stress on the battery, and the battery might not make it to 200,000 miles. But there's people who just charge at home, they keep it to 80% all the time and they have 250,000 miles on the car and the car still has like 85% of its battery capacity. I'm pretty careful about that. So I don't think it'll ever be an issue. I think other parts of the car will probably uh, fail before the battery ever does, or there'll just be some new battery technology that makes the car uh, worth trading or trading in or getting rid of in 10 years. But yeah, I don't ever anticipate having to do anything with the batteries. And there's new battery chemistries out now called lithium iron phosphate that are even way better with a degradation. You can charge them up to 100% and they actually recommend you do that. And their degradation is much less over time, although you have a little bit less energy density with those. But uh, yeah, the, the thing about EVs, David, maybe the big point is we're still so early on these, like by 2030, you're going to be able to get something superior to what I have now. And it's going to be cheaper because the technology is moving so quickly and something better is right around the corner, like all the time. Well, you lost me about halfway through that with all those multi-syllable words. But no, <laughs> I, I didn't get the gist and I appreciate that. Uh, one thing that surprised me whenever I actually I just came across this sort of haphazardly, I'm, I'm a few years ago, I moved to San Diego and I had to re-register my 2016 Toyota Avalon. It's a hybrid. It does great, great car. Uh, and I think, if I remember correctly, it was a it's like $350 to for a year, maybe a little under, something like that, ballpark. And when I was there, the guy said, "Do you have a Tesla?" And I was just like, I, "I'm not even sure how it came up in conversation." But he said, "If you had a Tesla, it would cost you $1,000 a year to register here in California." So that to me, that's a very practical difference I mean, as far as an expense, something definitely to be aware of if uh, you can get, maybe you don't get sticker shock at the purchase, but when you go to register it, uh, there, an extra thousand dollars might be tacked onto your bill, whether you buy it at a, you know, a dealer or, or, a, you know, secondhand or whatever, and you just take it into a, a DMV or a kiosk to, to get it registered. So yeah, I would so definitely do the homework for registration cost. Yeah, and this might bring up, I'm not sure why they do that, but one issue with a EV is you're not buying gas, so therefore you're not paying taxes, which go to maintain the roads. So a, a lot of states, including Colorado, I think, have instituted extra fees for EVs, which is completely justifiable because I'm using those exact same roads. So therefore, and I'm not buying gas, I'm not paying those taxes. So there totally should be a way for me to pay more, and that should be mandated because I'm using the same infrastructure. And I, I wonder if that's why that thing, why they have that for California and if it's a one-time thing or if it's every time. Yeah, could be. I'm not certain. But that definitely uh, threw me three times the price to register, at least for year one. Wow. Uh, I'm not sure if that, that goes, again, I don't know if that's every year or if that's just the initial registration. And then maybe it's a fraction of that going forward. But it's definitely a, a, not an insignificant amount of money. Yeah. As far as uh, your upgrades, your infotainment upgrades, do do you have to pay for those or is that automatic? So they have a free version and then you can pay 10 bucks a month if you want uh, map data. 
Uh, so it has maps on there and it'll map it out to wherever you want to go. But if you want real-time traffic data, that's the word I'm looking for. You have to pay extra for that. And if you don't pay extra, you, the music options are limited. Like now that I pay extra, uh, I can punch in any song I want by any musician and it'll pop up there. And I think there's some other things that includes, but those were the two main things for me. Okay. So if, if I'm, thinking about buying a Tesla and I don't yet have the ability to charge it at my house. Earlier in our conversation, you said it doesn't make a lot of sense financially to put solar panels on your house. But if you don't have solar panels on your house or a extremely convenient way to charge, do you think that's like a blanket no to buying a Tesla? Oh, no. I think you could. In most cases, it's far cheaper to buy electricity than it is to buy fuel. Here in Longmont, it's about 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So to charge up my Tesla is like $7, uh, and that gets me 300 miles of range. Uh, I don't think you can get anywhere near 300 miles of range for a fuel car. Uh, but this brings up another interesting thing. You see people with perfectly fine cars saying, oh, I want to buy a Tesla to save money on the fuel. Well, the best car you have is the one you have that's that's paid off. You're never going to recoup, recoup those fuel costs. So I think the Tesla makes sense if you actually do need a new car, but you shouldn't go out and buy it for those reasons. But yeah, David, in most places, it's going to be far cheaper to charge it with the outlet in your garage than it is to buy fuel from the gas station. And like I said, you don't have to go to gas stations anymore, which is pretty cool. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Uh, I might be in the market for a car in the near future, and you've definitely said some things that might convince me to lean into the EV space. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it today. Yeah, sure, David. Thanks. It was uh, good talking to you. All right, Carl, if, if you're interested in Carl, if this is your first time hearing who Carl Jensen is, he knows a lot more about a lot of things other than just Tesla's. Uh, you can check out his blog at 1500days.com. That's 1500days.com, where you'll find dinosaurs and a lot of humor and a lot of smart people talk about money and life. So I highly recommend you check out his blog. And he's also got a podcast called Mile High Fi, which I think you release about uh, every like twice a week, maybe once a week at least. So, and you're on, on YouTube with that as well. So check him out. Uh, Carl, again, thank you so much. And I look forward to hanging out with you again soon. Yeah, let's, uh, let's make a plan to meet up. Maybe I'll road trip the Tesla out to San Diego. All right. Thank you all for listening. <music>